Hey, everybody. Welcome to The Daily Objective. And uh, we're going to be talking about something that is near and dear to many of your hearts in the UK. We are the Ayn Rand Center UK, after all. And uh, a couple of us Americans are going to be giving our thoughts and opinions on the monarchy and the royalty and all of that good stuff. A quick reminder, in just two weeks from today, we're going to be live in London, the Ayn Rand Center UK and other ARC UK shows live in the flesh. So uh, check that out. Come on out and see us. Uh, for more information, hit up the ARC UK link down below and in the chat. All right, let's jump right into it. Let's uh, meet my co-host today. This is a guy, I mean, people have called him the, the prince of this episode. In fact, uh, you know him from, uh, he's had the titular line of lost. He said, boy, are we lost? No, it's no, Mark the, the, actual, the actual line was get off my foot. <laughs> yes, yeah. that's right. Not quite the titular line of the uh, series, but uh, still memorable. It's Mark Pellegrino. What's up, man? Good to see you. Good to see you. So, um, you know, generally Americans, how do we, Americans generally tend to kind of, uh, kind of laugh at the whole thing of monarchy and royalty, but also I think uh, maybe American women love to watch the weddings or maybe not just women, but people that are into fashion and, and, and extravagance like to watch the Royal weddings and events and stuff. And they maybe back to women again, they dream of meeting a prince, you know, even though it's just a formality, even though it doesn't really mean anything, but it's still kind of like a kind of a dream to now be part of that uh, high status circle so you know as as a non-woman uh what are your thoughts generally about royalty <laughs> uh i am generally against royalty i don't believe in inherited status at all uh i you know i you know i guess if a family could live off the reputation of somebody for a while but the fact that they get subsidized by tax dollars um for, you know, for being the ancestors of arguably the most psychopathic, violent people on the planet who are just able to accumulate more swords and more muscle behind them um, and power as a result. So I, I don't I don't respect royalty. I don't I don't find it, I find it uh, un-American and anti-human. Uh, and uh, I don't mind monarchy per se, provided the monarchy is elected and provided the, the monarch is restrained. Uh, but certainly royalty is, uh, it's bogus. Hey man, mm. the, the bourgeois rose up in the great, uh, in the industrial revolution and the great enrichment. And they showed that uh, merit is better than, than blood. That's right. Rise of the bourgeois. Um, now, when you say uh, monarchy can be elected and limited, are they then just politicians, basically? Yeah, yeah, that's just a form of government. Um, it's a sketchy form of government. If the executive, judicial, and legislative is all bound up in one person, it's not something that I think you really want to see. Um, then, you know, if a monarch is good, it's it, it depends on how, how principled and uh, not power lusting he is. But as a, as a form of government, I think our representative republic that d divides power and makes power compete against each other is a far better system than endowing one person with everything. Yeah. Now, comparing the American system with the British one is fascinating to me. Uh, so the American system was decisively kind of set in place in the late 1700s, the, the end of that century. The British one 
kind of over time morphed from a, I guess, a complete monarchy into this sort of parliamentary government where the monarch is basically a highly subsidized figurehead at a certain point. Right. They have the the, mon- the royal family has no say over laws or anything like that. Yeah. So now c- can I play devil's advocate here? Um, I remember many years ago, John Stewart on The Daily Show was interviewing some pro royal family guy with a book to push. And and John Stewart said to the guy, he said, oh, it must be hard for those royals to to live in that castle and to have all those nice clothes and stuff since none of them have jobs. And um, the the guy, the author of the book said, well, it is a known fact that the queen turns off lights whenever she's uh, leaving a room. Mm-hmm. And Stuart is like, oh, she had a she had a dead goose on her hat with a diamond the other day. And uh, and, you know, so they, they, they did a little bit of a, you know, um, bantering. And the, but the British guy said, he said, look, for all of its problems, it does uh, kind of stand as a barrier preventing the government or the culture from completely getting taken over by politicians. Um, so what do you think of that, especially in Europe with some of the uh, things they've witnessed in the last hundred years, the way that Italy and Germany and, and, you know, not to speak nothing of, you know, the Eastern Europe, the way they've been kind of uh, violently changed and overtaken by movements, you know, by the passion of the, of the, 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 the many or the, or the passions of the few with influence. It's just, it seems like having some tradition kind of set in place, like the royalty, the monarchy, it kind of it kind of serves to kind of do that it, to, to prevent the uh, passions of the moment from transforming the culture. Well, I think I think in the 18th century, when we were considering the idea of breaking with with Britain, one of the one of the things that that stuck in the craw of our founders was the growth of the administrative state ministers. Uh, friends of the king were being sent over to uh, to extend the king's power over here, and it wasn't just in America that that was happening. The growth of the administrative state was happening in England too, to the shock of many folks there. Um, so th- those are the those are the politicians you have to worry about. Those are the people not subject to uh, to election, to the voice of the people. They are selected by the executive. They have legislative and executive power over you. We call it today the uh, the shadow state or the deep state, but this has existed for hundreds of years and, and justifiably makes everyone suspicious because they have a great deal of power and no accountability at all. And those are the people that you should be afraid of. The king makes big moves, then he gets slapped with something like the Magna Carta you know, or, or the glorious revolution. Uh, if the people go crazy, then they get slapped by somebody like Napoleon. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. But the deep state goes crazy and it's really hard to pin, to pin the, uh, the tail on that donkey. So it sounds like you're saying that the deep state uh, is worse. It's kind of a much bigger threat than the monarchy, which can be tamed. Sure, um, so think- do you, do you see some merit then in the idea that once the monarchy is in place, it, it's a nice idea maybe for the British to keep it in place just as kind of a symbol of like, we're not going to have, um, you know, any, any political movement, like sort of change us rapidly. It's kind of like as a symbol of uh, tradition and, and uh, respect for the past. I, I don't know that it's done anything to quell the growth of socialism in England. And and some of these far left parties that make people on our left look like uh, you know Ronald Reagan. Um, so 
I don't, I don't know. It, it, I think it has a sentimental attachment, but it's, it's an expensive sentimental attachment. Does it prevent these political movements from happening? No, democracy is sort of sweeping through uh, the world right now because the intellectual class has told us that it's synonymous with liberty when it isn't. So people think that these uh, that majorities of people voting on everything uh, from laws to uh, economics to uh, is the, the way to go. And no king uh, or queen is going to stop that movement. Yeah. Um, and speaking of democracy and majority rule, uh, that brings up utilitarian arguments in defense of the monarchy. People say, yes, the tax dollars are funding their lavish lifestyle, but the tourism that the royals bring in, you know, help the economy and help people. So it's a net benefit as though like me not living nowhere close to the castle paying taxes. I'm going to be comforted by the fact that uh, someone I don't know is going to make money selling hot dogs outside of the castle to some tourists. Yeah, that's the altruist ethic, right? You know, it, it makes our country wealthier to give these people $50 million a year, whatever they give them. No, that's a fallacy. It's like the broken window fallacy. Not true. Get them off the dole. Get Elizabeth off the dole. Get the royals off the dole now. Yeah, definitely. Uh, no argument there. Um, what I'm trying to kind of um, really kind of hold myself uh, to the fire, to hold my feet to the fire is on this. Like, is it should it all completely be thrown away um, or here's a, here's a deeper question. Am I am I uh, impervious to the whole thing? So let me ask you, if you meet somebody and who you kind of click with, right, you're like you make a new friend or if you're single, and you meet a, a lady that you like, would it make no difference after you meet them, would it make no difference to you to learn that they're actually part of, you know, the German royals or the British royals or something like that? Would it would it not make you um, kind of more excited to have uh, entered that sort of circle? No, no, no. Well, it would make me break up with her if she thought there was something to it. Yeah, but more likely she her, would. if she thought it made her better. Right. But she wouldn't say it makes her better. She would say it's no big deal. But would but would it excite you on any level to know you're now like you're you're this much closer to this uh, this um, aristocracy, which is which is a, a fascinating concept. Why do you think Ayn Rand uh, had this sort of uh, affinity for aristocracy, given how how much she is not into this, uh, you know, second handedness and it, it sort of intrinsic value that that we see people um, projecting onto the Royals. Have you, have you ever thought about that? Do you no, know what I'm referring to? I mean, I, I'm not exactly sure what you're referring to, but it's not like it's uh, that an educated, um, uh, powerful and confident being is not, is not, uh, unattractive. Uh, th that's a very attractive thing. And I think it was more the bearing of an ar aristocrat and the confidence of an aristocrat and the idea that you owned your space and you, and you were sort of the alpha dog, the top dog in your domain, which is what a royal brings to any situation, right? No matter how wealthy the merchant got, he still was not a, an aristocrat, could never be one. Even if he bought, like Shakespeare did, a coat of arms, he's, he still could never be an aristocrat and, and would be looked down on to a degree. So there's something about that elitism that is not unattractive. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I, I guess I, I was referring to like in some some of Rand's novels, I think uh, I don't remember specifics, but maybe some of the characters had like ancestry that were ar aristocrats or something. But yeah, I mean, again, what she her artistic choices, especially when she Rand is younger and still kind of 
<coughs> figuring it all out is it should not be taken as, you know, as a value judgment. That's part of her philosophy. Um, but yeah, I, I've always been curious about that. Um, I mean, sophisticated, urbane person, multilingual, literate, worldly, all of those things I, I can associate with uh, an aristocrat. Um, and those are qualities that are interesting for anybody to have. Yeah. The aristocrat part, the inherited part, if you put any value in it or anybody else puts any value in it, like that would really make my, my skin crawl. If I was on a red carpet and somebody said, this is the prince of so-and-so. Uh, I, I don't know. I don't know what I do. I don't know what right. I do. Well, which, bring, which brings me to this thought, like in America, especially and in the modern world in general, but America being the leader of modernity, we've sort of made royalty um, something that's accessible to everyone. So just in the same way that wealth is now accessible to anyone who's able to produce it sort of uh, that type of uh, uh, fame and status and which, yeah, can be taken um, to excess by people that people can um, falsely see, you know, let's say uh, celebrities as gods. But nonetheless, th this type of status is available to anyone who can achieve it, who can earn it. And um, and in turn, you, you kind of realize at a certain point that a red carpet is literally just a red carpet. And at the end of the day, all you really have are your values. Um, it doesn't matter what crown you're wearing or what carpet you're walking on. You at all the what you take home with you at the end is people that that you value and your own, you know, your own character and and integrity and all of that. Yeah, I think I think some of our founders, like John Adams, understood um, that there was such a thing as a natural aristocracy, and and they liked that. They they felt that people like that should should be the ones who held the reins of power. And that's true. And a natural aristocracy is someone with real ability, somebody who's capable uh, and efficient and effective at what they do. And they become um, wealthy and prominent because of their skill. So that's the kind of aristocracy that I like. Yeah. And, um, and anyone, anyone who earns a living in the capitalist society is a king. You know, you're the king of your own home. You're the king of your own company. Um, yeah, it's uh, it really is uh, remarkable. So that uh, so from the you know from yeah from a if you just kind of uh, step back and kind of look at things uh, with a fresh set of eyes, you realize like yes, the it is incredible how everyone now can be a king and a queen. Um, so from a certain respect, then and here's another kind of devil's advocate probe. Do you think there is something to admire about royalty just in terms of what it like just the scope in the scope of history, the achievement that it represents in uh, just the organization of it all and the um, just the respect for like the time and place and ceremony and um, hierarchy uh, misplaced as it is? Do is, you think there's anything anything to appreciate that? Just, like maybe there is on just kind of a base level, like, yes, it's better than chimpanzees swinging from trees. Like it's, it represents uh, something. No, I, I, I think, I think there are individuals uh, who are certainly admirable um, and advance the world and themselves um, beyond just advancing their power. And, and those people are to be admired. They're, they're, uh, they're fascinating human beings for sure. The idea of royalty to me though, is, uh, is, is really uh a nothing idea to me. Yeah. It's a, it's a nothing idea to me too, but I, I challenge myself, like, would it really mean nothing to me if I were closer to it? Um, would I not 
be excited if I were invited by, you know, Prince William to hang out at the, at the palace and, and see what's in these. I don't know. It's something I've not thought about, but I, I'm trying to, uh, I'm trying to kind of peel the onion, so to speak. And, and um, yeah. Well, I have this, this the reason I, I, I can say definitively that I would not be excited because, you know, I have somebody close to me in, in my family that's very much into the Royals, loves the Royals and follows them and will will tell me that they do an enormous amount for charity as well it's not it's not that it's just they're earning the money by attracting the tourists into the country they also do a lot of stuff for charity so they say it still hasn't convinced me that i should be really you know overjoyed by being invited to prince anybody's party i imagine uh, they're not going to convince you i mean yeah like i think i knew a guy in uh, it, when i lived in la who was in some way related to the german royals and yeah it like means nothing when you meet them on american soil it's like you know it's like it's like you know that uh, monty python movie uh, uh, the holy grail i vaguely remember it but like at one point a king is trying to pass and the guy won't let him pass and the king is like i order you to let me pass and the guy's like no we will not listen to imperialist dogma like they're like arguing philosophy and political philosophy. Uh, like the king is like trying to argue, like, I have the authority. And the guy's like, no, you don't. Like, like where's your authority? Kind of like with the Pope, you know, George Carlin said, I have as much authority as the Pope. I just have less people that believe me. Um, so, yeah, it's it's meeting people in. Uh, I mean, and, and this, you know, this kind of this, this goes uh, beyond just the, ro the, the royals in Europe. I mean, someone can be like a mighty. um like a mighty ninja warrior somewhere in, you know, in Japan. And then he moves to America and it's like, people just see him as a regular guy. There's just, there's so many ways in which uh, kind of like being in America or, or in like kind of the modern world kind of hits reset on everything. And your, and your sort of uh, social status doesn't mean very much to very many people. Mm, agreed. I've got some super chats, Marilyn with $4. Thank you. Allison with $5 says, as always, I enjoy the history lessons from Mark and Nikos when he's here. What does your shirt say, Mark? What does my shirt say? National oh, Sarcasm. Uh, National Sarcasm Society. Wow. Yeah, we need your support, apparently. <laughs> Please, everybody. Uh, Phil with 10 pounds says, remember you guys talking about Jonathan Sumption and COVID? Where was our barrier to politicians then? We think we're in a democracy. It's actually a constitutional monarchy. I mean, uh, look, I'll be the first to say that England uh, has made some serious mistakes via democracy. But um, I mean, compared to fascist Italy and fascist Germany, I, you know, and communist, you know, East Russia and its and its other communist satellites. I mean, wouldn't you say arguably England has been hitting the brake and slow going slower but i mean somebody could say it's their parliamentary system it's the fact that they that they're the home of the enlightenment and not just uh a country that kind of uh, absorbed it like let's say germany or russia so there's, there's a number of reasons why probably england has moved much slower on the on the road to uh extreme fascism i would so i would not say england is like an extreme version of fascism the way that uh we've seen no. from other other europeans we, we do need to hold things in context, even if we hate what they've done vis-a-vis -vis COVID. Yeah, 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 indeed. Um, England, I think you're right, has always taken a, a, a pride, a certain amount of pride in its unwritten constitution and its common law and what that has meant to the world, not just to England, but to the world and to the United States. So uh, I think they're much more hesitant to lose it because they're proud of it. Yeah. 
It's uh, it's hard to imagine an unwritten constitution. Uh, I know if America had an unwritten constitution, I, we would not have free speech uh, anymore, right? They would have right. very long. I don't, I don't know how free speech is in England. Um, it doesn't not like free. There's definitely like laws against hate speech, and that definition is ever changing. So I think America is really the only place with explicit protection of free speech. So uh, anywhere else in the world, I hate to say it, but it seems like they're all living on borrowed time. Uh, as, as far as that goes, Jeff with 20 Canadian dollars says, God, quote, God save the queen because tourists are money and our figurehead is not what she seems by the sex pistols. I think he did. Is that exactly what the sex pistol said or, or did Jeff uh, edit it for today's show? Do you know? Uh, I'm trying to remember God save the queen. Um, it, I have to remember Johnny Rotten's voice did it much better than him. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, Johnny Rotten, I believe, is a Trump supporter. Uh, you know, I mean, m m I think, I think, I think anybody who not now this isn't to conflate Trump with liberty, but certainly people are are rebelling against the other side, and unfortunately, the only guy standing up is uh, is that bonehead. Um, but I think people would take I think people would take an articulate alternative to Trump if they could. Yeah. But it was just a really fascinating thing to watch the last several years, um, like the sort of a rebellious culture, the anti-establishment people, like half of them roughly saw Trump as like the worst thing ever. Like he represents business and capital, you know, globe, uh, whatever, like just everything wrong. And the other half of like the punk rock world was like, this is exactly what we wanted. This outsider anti-global trade, you know, shaking up the system and upsetting everybody like he's politically incorrect. Like so. So interesting to see that this kind of undefined culture, this sort of undefined, implicit, implicit uh, faux philosophy that punk rock always was, it kind of got split by by someone like Trump. You, you could see it. They're, they're, you know, they they had sort of strange conservative elements in the punk movement, skinheads. Uh, anti-hippie you know they were the anti-hippie movement they the, the music was a rebellion against the the, the hippie age of 60s and the 70s and they said many of them gravitated towards imagery that you know was fascistic and anarchistic in nature so it's not it's not too surprising to me that a guy like johnny rotten would go in that direction yeah and a lot of people, they would hear fascistic and anarchistic, and they would think those are two opposite ends of the uh, of the spectrum. But uh, it sounds like you saying, and I would agree that really anarchism is, is sort of opening the door to statism, ironically enough. But that's, yeah. Uh, Roland with 499 says, I'm more into dating Aristotelians than aristocrats. Well, yeah. Uh, so if any Aristotelian ladies are watching this, uh, Roland... Uh, give him a click and say hello. All right. Those are all the super chats. Okay. Uh, I guess uh, we can call it a wrap there. This is a technically a 20 minute show after all. Um, so I guess uh, if you have no more thoughts, we've, we've exhausted all of our, all of our, uh, our uh, ammunition. Yeah. It, well, could we just touch upon this? It does seem like the Royals are being canceled by uh, Markel, is that her name? Megan Markle, the, the latest addition to the Royals because she's black. It's definitely a lot of, a lot of focus has been paid to that fact. And a lot of her complaining about her experiences with the Royals has brought up a lot of, a lot of, uh, inquiries, which 
I think speaks to the fact that, uh, you know, cancel culture and all that a lot of the time is like an attack on, on tradition altogether or kind of anything that's that's part of the establishment, good or bad. So it's it'll be interesting to see what it uh, what uh, the royals even mean, what they even come to signify a generation from now or 10 years from now. Or, Hopefully not much. Yeah. I think that Hopefully not much. Use that 50 million pounds a year. I could use 50 million pounds a year. That's more than $50 million. Yes, it is. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, uh, I guess uh, we can jump over to Clubhouse uh, if you're available to do that. I'll see you there. You Mark? Sure. Cool. All right. Thanks, everybody. Coming up today. Wait, hold on. We got Marilyn $5 saying Queen Elizabeth has far more class than Markel. Uh, yeah, again, there's things admirable about the the poise and elegance of some of the royals. But yes, um, thank you, Marilyn. Coming up today at 9 p.m. UK time, it's... HBTV with Harry Binswanger on the topic, God and Santa Claus. All right. And see you all then and see you all back here tomorrow for the Daily Objective. And goodbye.